Well, it really is delightful to be here, and I, I love this church. I love your pastor, pastors, plural, uh, and uh, the people I know have been very encouraging to me. And so I count it a, um, a great blessing and a delight uh, to, to bring the word and to just worship with you, sing with you, and hear the prayers of, uh, of the saints. Amen? Uh, turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to be preaching in chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, but I want to go back to chapter 2 to really set the context, because I'll refer to it a few times, uh, from verses 12 to the end of chapter 2, and then the first three verses of chapter 3. And so, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? We are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Chapter 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Let's pray. Father, we just sang, show us Christ, and show us Christ through your word, and yet, Lord, we know if the Holy Spirit doesn't move and empower and fill and enlighten, Father, we won't see. We may understand literally, but Lord, it won't hit the heart. It won't motivate and move. It won't cause us to love you with a greater love. It won't excite us and thrill our souls. So Father, please work now through the preaching of your word. Take away distractions. Help us to pay close attention. Sink it deep into us, oh God. Move us. Draw us. Use us through the preaching of your word to bring glory to your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul ended chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians by telling the Corinthians that he was not like so many others who were peddling the word of God. Uh, who were peddling it for money, or for power, or for self-glory, peddling it to make a name for themselves to live a better life. And, and they were men who twisted and distorted and lied about the word of God to further their own agenda or their own desires. Uh, and of, of course, Paul was alluding to these false teachers and apostles who had come into Corinth and who were calling into question Paul's apostleship and his apostolic authority. And they were slandering and discrediting him and finding fault in just about every single way with him, saying, he's not a thankful man. You can't trust him. He's a conceited man. He's a boastful man. And Paul is out for Paul. He's all about himself. He's not for the people. 
Uh, and, and many of these peddlers, what they would do is they would follow Paul around from city to city, and after he would plant a church and stay there for a while and eventually leave, they'd come in, and then they would, dis- they would spread their deceit and their poison. Uh, so they would, they would come to areas where Paul had already plowed and planted and then seek to uproot the work that he was doing, drawing people to themselves and away from Christ. Uh, so these peddlers were not the aroma of Christ to God, uh, nor uh, to the body of believers in Corinth. Rather, they were the stench of death to God. But Paul was indeed an aroma of Christ to God. Uh, and he was an aroma of Christ to, uh, uh, to among those who were being saved. To them, he was the aroma of life leading to life. And he was also the aroma of Christ to those who were perishing. Uh, but to them, he was the aroma of death leading to death. And then at the end of verse 16, in chapter 2, Paul asks a question, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? Who is qualified? Who is sufficient or qualified? Uh, who has what it takes to influence men and women for eternity? And in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, he's going to answer who is sufficient. He will say in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3 that he is, he is sufficient, but that sufficiency is from God. Because he's been given the spirit of God and his word, which enables him to bring the words of life to those who are dead in their sins. Just as when Paul first came to the Corinthians and God used him to save them. What I'd like to do this morning is look at just verses 1 and 3 today in a sermon titled, An Epistle of Christ, where Paul is defending his ministry by separating himself from these peddlers. I want to do that with a three-point outline, and I believe it's on the back of your bulletin. And those points are the peddler's letters. Secondly, Paul's letter, and then finally, Christ's letter. And so let's look at the peddler's letters in verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, uh, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Well, Paul begins by asking two questions. And the first one is, do we begin to commend ourselves. And commend means to, uh, to show, to prove, to recommend. And the word again tells us that he's already done this. Uh, he's already proven himself to them. Uh, so he's saying, do I have to tell you again how I, how I became an apostle? And, and who gave me this authority? Do I have to start all over again, like when I first came to you and shared the gospel with you and God saved you and I taught you day and night for 18 months? Do I again have to go over how Jesus saved me and then commissioned me to go to the Gentiles and kings and the Jews with the gospel? Do I have to go back to square one with you? Do I have to prove myself again to you? You don't don't know me well enough to know uh, that, that what these deceivers are saying about me isn't true at all? Just remember, just remember all the time we spent together and the conversations we had and the teaching and the fellowship and the prayers and all the tears and all the joy. Do none of these things mean anything now? Right? Now, now that you're, you're questioning my authenticity and authority and you want letters of recommendation from me. And Paul is referred to as apostleship in, in the first letter of 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, chapter 11, chapter 14, and 15. So they knew what he claimed from the get-go. And they also saw the works of an apostle. But now, egged on by these false teachers and these false apostles, they want letters of recommendation of Paul's ministry. Uh, and are not people fickle? I mean, I mean it's amazing how, how they can 
be so deceived to believe something about someone that they really knew so well. So Paul is saying, you know my character, you know my heart, and you know my passion for Christ. And you know my great desire is to make him known to others, uh, and, and that you would have a passion for him. Right? Like the Apostle John, I have no greater joy than that my children walk in the truth. That's the heart of your pastors. They want to see you grow. They want to see you spiritually flourish. Amen? Oh, thank you. There's a pastor for you. <laughs> so, so you know my heart. You know my great desire. You know that I was set apart by the Holy Spirit to be a missionary to the Gentiles. So I don't need to give you my credentials. You already know them. Now, it's possible that the peddlers of chapter 2, verse 17, have claimed and will claim that Paul is proud and he is boasting, that he's just this self-proclaimed apostle, not like the other 12 whom Jesus appointed himself. Uh, and, and Paul may be anticipating uh, this when, when they read this letter and that they're going to say something like, see, look, look at how full of himself he is. We're the peddlers of the gospel. We're all peddlers. And he's the only true gospel preacher. Well, the truth is, Corinthians, Paul's the peddler here. And Paul knew better than to promote himself because he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. He also knew Proverbs 27 too, which said, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Well, now Paul asks a second question. Uh, and this one is, uh, uh, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? So do I have to bring to you letters of recommendation from other men, other churches, to prove to you who I am, just like the peddlers are doing with you now? Do I need others writing letters saying that I am a minister of the gospel? Uh, do I need an ordination certificate? Uh, framed on a wall to satisfy you? Do I need that? Do I need to bring you my resume with references on it, like these false apostles and false teachers who are now invading Corinth? Uh, and by the way, that's probably how they snuck into Corinth, by showing letters of recommendation by other churches and people to the Corinthians? Now understand, Paul is not against letters of recommendation. Uh, it was necessary then, as it is even now, in Paul's day, you see, that you had these itinerant preachers uh, coming into town and nobody really knew them, and they're claiming to be preachers of the gospel, and how was the local church to verify that? How are they to know? Right? There's no Facebook. There's no YouTube. There's no sermon audio. They're not filming this thing live right now, right? They don't have that stuff. So letters of recommendation helped. Right? As, as other Christians and other churches verified them. That's how it helped. They affirmed they were who they said they were. When I'm thinking about hiring someone to clean my gutters because I refuse to go up that high, I, I want to know who else has used this person. Right? And what is their experience with them? Would they recommend them? We do that kind of thing, right? We get recommendations of things. Uh, so the church needed that as well. They needed to be careful who they let preach and teach. And, and most certainly these peddlers got, got into Corinth by falsifying letters of recommendation. Uh, and remember, Paul warned the Ephesian elders to watch out for guys like this in Acts 20, verse 29. He said, for I know this. What do you know, Paul? That after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And one of the ways uh, that you guarded against that was by letters of recommendation. Uh, right? Letters saying, this guy is the real deal. Right? And, and, and guess what? Paul himself recommended people to churches. He recommended Phoebe to the church at Rome in Romans 16, 12. I commend to you, I recommend to you, Phoebe, our sister. And he goes on to say why they should receive her. All right, so the saints in Rome, they don't know her. But Paul says, I vouch for her. I testify that she's the real deal. Receive her. And if you think about it, the whole letter to Philemon is really a letter of recommendation for Onesimus. I'm, I'm, I'm verifying him to you now. He's the real deal. God has saved him. Take him back. Restore him. And when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, we read in Acts 18.27 that the brothers wrote him a letter of recommendation because they don't know him. So Paul didn't dislike letters of recommendation. He just thought it was foolish for the Corinthians to all of a sudden want one from him or some from him. It just didn't make sense. Uh, and, and Paul, being criticized for not having proper credentials uh, in, man eyes was, in man's eyes was not something new to him. Right? In, in Galatians chapter 1, he's criticized as, as maybe not being an apostle because he didn't have the stamp of approval from the apostles uh, in Jerusalem. And when he does go there three years after he saved, he didn't go there and get letters from Peter and John and James, right? He didn't need that. And not only was that a problem, but, but there were false teachers in Thessalonica uh, who questioned his apostolic authority and his motives, calling him proud and boastful and out for himself. So this wasn't new. Well, do you know how People approve most ministries today. Here's how. How many? How much? How many? How much? How many people attend? How much money are you bringing in? That's how people approve ministries today. You have 500 people, you're a good pastor. That's a successful ministry. But if you don't, ah, you're nothing. Almost every time I meet a new pastor, one of the first questions that comes out is, how many people in the church are you pastor? Oh, we got 50,000. We're building a stadium. It's so big. That's what they want to hear. Right? Not, they're not asking questions like, what's the spiritual life like in your church? How have the people been growing in the Lord? What wonderful things is God doing in your midst? Those are good questions, right? What's the spiritual temperature like? That's how you measure something. No, it's just how big are you? It's how big are you? You see, to most people, that determines the vitality of the church and God's blessing upon it. But let us not forget what Jesus said to the church at Sardis in Revelation 3. He said, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Dead. The Lord of the church says you're dead. This church seemed alive, maybe teeming with people, lots of ministries, lots of money rolling in. And, and they're the talk of the town as far as churches go, which men look at and say, look at Sardis, man. That place is happening. They got the best music. They got a really funky you know, pastor up there, and he's wowing everybody. That's a happening place. But Jesus says, not to me, not to me. In fact, the Lord of the church says, you're dead. So we don't need men's recommendation 
We need Jesus' recommendation. Amen? Amen? That's what we need. Jesus' recommendation. Now, not only do the Corinthians know, know Paul well, uh, and not only do they have a history with him, but let us not forget that when Paul went to them, there was no church in Corinth, and there were no Christians in Corinth. They were a bunch of lost people dead in their trespasses and sins. And even if Paul had letters of recommendation, guess what? They would have meant absolutely nothing to them. Unsaved people could care less about what church or what Christian leader is recommending you to them. Think about it. It would be like a couple of guys from this church going out on the corner and preaching to people out there, carrying letters of recommendation to the heathen by, by Pastor Mike and Pastor Matthew. Guess what? Those people, they don't care what Pastor Mike or Pastor Matthew have to say about them because they don't know anything. They don't know. It would mean nothing. So Paul didn't go where someone else had planted a church. He said in Romans 15, I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So he went where there was no church. He boldly brought the gospel where it had not gone before. And he didn't need letters of men to say, oh, this Paul's the real deal. No, he needed the power of the Spirit. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you were to send VJ to Tuja, China, a city of 9 million people where there is no church and no known Christians, you would not send him with letters of recommendation from Woodside Community Church or maybe from Vody Bachman or Steve Lawson or John MacArthur or anybody else. I mean, you could send VJ with tons of letters and it wouldn't mean anything because nobody would care less. What you would send him with is a lot of prayer. That's what you would send him with. Not that you want to get rid of him. Well, not only did these false apostles and teachers bring letters of recommendation, but when they left, they would get a letter of recommendation from the Corinthians. So after they milked the Corinthians from all that they could out of them, then they would get them to write a letter saying, well, these guys are ministers of the gospel. You should take a listen to them. To which Paul says, I don't need those. Uh, so Paul's point is, you know me. You know the effect of my ministry. So I don't need to give you letters. I don't need to get them from you. Listen, do... Does, does one of the art students of Rembrandt add to his greatness of his paintings at all? By writing him a letter of recommendation, I recommend to you uh, Rembrandt, he's a good painter. Or does Shakespeare need a bit player in one of his dramas to give him a letter of recommendation promoting his writing skills? Well, no, of course not. Neither does the Apostle Paul need letters of recommendation from them or to anyone else. So we see, first of all, the peddler's letters. Secondly, Paul's letter in verse 2. You are an epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Well, Paul says, I don't, I don't need letters of recommendation because you are my letter of recommendation. You are an epistle written on my heart. You see, they were greatly loved by Paul and they were on his heart. Twice in this letter, he calls them dearly beloved. And in 1 Corinthians, four times he calls them beloved children and beloved brothers. So he loves them. Because God loves them, and God saved them through the ministry of Paul. So Paul says, you want a letter of recommendation? Well, here it is. You're my letter of recommendation, and it's written on my very heart. I have labored for you, and I have prayed much for you. And all men have to do is look at how I care for you, and how I seek to protect you from these peddlers of the gospel now in there. That's all they have to do. Uh, and, and, 
And all they have to do is listen to how I speak about you and how I left the open door of opportunity in Troas because of my great concern for you. And by the way, there's a sermon right there. Paul, the great apostle Paul, praying for open doors. Well, he gets one in Troas, and, and he goes to Troas, but while he's in Troas, he's waiting for Titus to come back and let him know what's going on with a letter that he just sent to the Corinthians. And because Titus doesn't come back, he can't stay there. I got to go meet Titus. I can't. I'm, I, I, have, I have no rest in my spirit, he says. I got to leave. You see his heart. Paul's like a man like us, right? And his heart was so broken over the sin that was going on in Corinth, and he doesn't know the response to his very hard, severe letter he writes them. But until he knows, he has no rest. Can't even preach. He's got to leave. He's got to find out. So they were Paul's letter. Not written on parchment, not carried around in his pocket, but written on his heart. He told the Philippians in Philippians 1.7 that it is right for me to think this of you all. Why? Because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. You're in my heart. So his heart carries the remembrance of their faith wherever he goes. His heart stood open for inspection by anyone, either as they saw the Corinthians or as they listened to Paul's testimony about them. He carries around in his heart the memory of their response to his preaching. Hence, they were Paul's spiritual children. They came to faith through his ministry. They were birthed into the family of God through the preaching of Paul. And if God has used you, if God has used you to be be the one who shared the gospel uh, through which somebody was saved, uh, then you can't help but be thankful for them, right? You can't. You can't help but carry them in your heart. Their salvation brings you great joy. Uh, And and their lives are a testimony actually to your life in Christ. When I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about some of the people uh, that God has allowed me to participate in some way, shape, or form uh, in in their coming to faith. And I I was just so blessed to think about these people, to remember these dear ones, and they're in my heart. And that's what I think he does. you, You can't help but love them and care about them. I want to see them flourish. Well, Paul's rivals were were showing their physical letters as their credentials, and Paul says, just look at my heart. Just look at my heart. See yourselves written there, deeply engraved in my affections. He'll say in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he'll tell them, I have said before that you are in our hearts, to die together and to live together. That's where you are. So they're Paul's letter. They're Paul's letter. They are what authenticates his ministry as an apostle. And he told them in 1 Corinthians 9, he actually asks them, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So the credentials of his ministry were the changed lives of the people under him. You you want to know how you measure a man's ministry? Look at the lives of the people that sit under him. Is there a spiritual dimension to those people? Are they growing spiritually? Are they growing in the word? Are they more and more living by faith and not by sight? Are they better equipped to use the word of God to make decisions in life? Do you hear a growth in their prayer life as you pray corporately? Do you hear it? Trusting in God, the sovereignty of God, even through suffering. Are they walking worthy of the calling by which they have been called? 
So the Corinthians changed lives on all the credentials that Paul needs. I notice he doesn't say my credentials are the miracles I do. He doesn't say my credentials are the tongues that I speak or the prophecies that I utter, right? They're not his validation. They're not the proof of his ministry. And yet these are the very things many in our day use to validate their ministry. They, they point to their supposed miracles or their speaking in tongues or the prophecies as, as that they utter as, as proof that they are anointed by God, that they are the Lord's man or the Lord's woman. So much so that they call themselves the prophet or the prophetess. And you got to know, these are peddlers of the word of God. These are peddlers of the word of God. Because Paul, who legitimately did all of those things, and then some, said what validates his ministry is the spiritual life and growth of the saints that he ministers to. There's my validation. So you are my letter. And when he says you are, that's in the present tense, which means Paul considers them to continually be his letter of recommendation. Thus his letter was in people, not on paper. It's written internally, not externally. So, so he says if people meet you, they know what I am like. Uh, they know what my ministry is like. They know it. Uh, listen, if, if you want to send your dog to a dog trainer, Oh, you could get recommendations uh, from people you know, maybe off the internet, maybe someone knows someone, right? That's one way to do it. But how much better would it be to meet some of the dogs that that trainer has trained, right? How much better? Well, the Corinthians are Paul's letter of recommendation, which is written on his heart, and then he adds, known and read by all. Known and read by all. So as, as Paul ministers in other cities... Uh, they could see Paul's heart for the Corinthians, and they could also see the, the work of, of, of Paul in them. Speaking of the Thessalonians' faith and how, how others knew of Paul's ministry through them, we read in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8, For from you the word of the Lord is sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't need to say anything. That's all over Greece and then some. And so then... then all men who had an experiential knowledge of the Corinthian believers knew they were not hypocrites, uh, but they were new creations in Christ and living transformed lives. Uh, so the question is, are you, am I, living in such a way that those around us are reading that something marvelous has gone on in our lives? Are they reading that? Are they reading our, our lives that they are filled with joy and hope and passion because of Christ. Is that just reading out there? Or when they read us, are we reading just like everybody else? Are we just reading like everybody else reads? You see, people know what we say, and then they watch to see if that's how we live, right? So we see, first of all, the pedal's letters, secondly, Paul's letter, and finally, Christ's letter, verse 3. Clearly, clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Well, Paul says, I, I don't need letters of recommendation like the peddlers do. Then he says, if you want one, that's you. You're my letter of recommendation. And now he says, you're not only a letter of recommendation for me, but you are also a letter of Christ. 
So he starts by saying, clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. And clearly means evident to all, obvious. It is obvious you are an epistle of Christ. Uh, so clearly, you convey the power of Christ in your life. Uh, and that you have the mind of Christ. Clearly, the grace of God is all over you. Clearly. Yes, you have a lot of problems, and you can't read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and not see this is a church with problems. They do. But clearly, you're still God's people. Clearly. Clearly, the grace of God is all over you. But you love one another, and you exhibit love for Christ. You're not fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners. You're not that anymore, because you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Jesus by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6 to 9. That but God is huge right there, right? So clearly means you are the new man in Christ and you can't hide your Christianity. It just naturally comes out of you. Because you're alive. You live different. You sound different than you used to sound. And the world around you doesn't sound that way anymore. You don't sound like you used to sound. You have a new heart. And that new heart sings a new song. And you're under a new master. Everybody's under a master, right? Everybody's a slave as far as Scripture is concerned. You're either a, you're either a slave to Christ, right? Or you're a slave to sin and Satan. But everybody's a slave. Everybody. But you're not a slave to sin and Satan anymore. Now you are a slave to Christ. You're a new man, and you're headed towards the new Jerusalem. So it is clear that you are an epistle of Christ. And I guess the question is, is it clear that you are an epistle of Christ? Is it clear that I am? Is it clear? Is it clear to the world around you? Is it clear to those who are in this church? Uh, the point here is, even though Christians struggle and hold to some erroneous thinking, by the way, we all have thoughts and doctrines that we're just not right, but God will square it away in the end. It won't make a difference if we're trusting in him and leaning on the basic tenets of the truth. We all make mistakes. We all have things that we're not right on, but God is merciful. God is merciful. But even so, even though we all have blind spots, if you will, right, we still show Christ to some degree in our lives because all believers are a letter of Christ, every one of us. We're all in advertisement form. We're like all walking around with a sandwich billboard on us that says Christ is Lord. We could just say Jesus is Lord of all. That's what we should be reading as we're walking around. And here's the thing. Some people will never pick up a Bible. Some people will never listen to a sermon. Some people will never step foot in this church. But they'll read you. They'll read you. You may be the only Bible they'll ever read. You may be. You may be the only info on Christ they will ever encounter. That's it. And what you want them to read is what is true and what is good and what is lovely, right? That's what we want. But how do you know and how do I know that God won't draw them to his son by the power of his spirit through what they read in your life? How do you know that? So you're an epistle of Christ and Paul says, ministered by me, meaning I cared for you. I shared the gospel with you. I taught you the things of God. Uh, so this letter of Christ was ministered by me, either as a scribe or a mailman or both. So Christ wrote the letter through the Holy Spirit, but Paul put it down and then delivered it, meaning he brought the gospel to them. He brought the gospel to them. 
Uh, and, and he goes on to say, this letter is not written with ink. So you're not a literal letter written with pen and ink on paper, but figuratively speaking, you're a letter of Christ written by the very spirit of the living God. So, so Paul isn't the author of this letter. Christ is through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Paul can't say, I saved you. Nor can any man save any man. Uh, and it doesn't matter how much scripture they know or how theologically savvy they are or how well they can communicate it or how passionately they preach it. No man can write the word of God on another man's heart. But God can. And God does. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, I went there and shared the gospel. Paulus watered, came back and went after me and shared some more gospel. But God gave the increase. That thing wasn't growing unless God gave the increase. God gave the increase. So Paul is saying, I didn't save you. I didn't draw you to Christ. I didn't open your eyes. Right? I, I didn't show you your need to him. I didn't make you believe. I didn't coax you into the kingdom. I didn't cause you to repent. All I did was share the truth with you. That's all I did. And then point you to Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he raised you to new life. So you're an epistle. Not written with ink, with fades and smudges, but with the Holy Spirit of God, which lasts forever, which can never fade or smudge. So you're an epistle written on Paul's heart. Uh, and you're also an epistle of Christ written by the Holy Spirit on our hearts. And it's at this point that Paul will introduce uh, the writing of the Old Covenant and the writing of the New Covenant. Uh, and he will develop this more as throughout this chapter. And the Old Covenant was written on tablets of stone, as you know, which are the Ten Commandments, uh, which were written by the finger of God and engraved on two stones, stone tablets, and these commandments are the summation of God's law, the first four being how man relates to God, the second six, how man relates to man. And Jesus took the Ten Commandments and he boiled them into two, if you will, in Matthew 22, where they said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your being and then love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and prophets. Now the moral law, which really are the Ten Commandments, were good and perfect, and if obeyed completely, well, then you would have everlasting life. But here's the thing. No man can obey them completely. All men fall short because all men are sinners. You see, the law requires 100% obedience. Uh, and the consequences for breaking his law is everlasting punishment. Uh, so, so the law was written to show us that we can't measure up. We can't measure up to God's standard. Uh, and then to drive us to Christ who did. So the law was written on tablets of stone, and stone is hard and cold and unchanging. And, and this was the dilemma for sinners in the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, Christ has fulfilled the law for us in his own body. He has perfected the law with total obedience to it. Uh, and then he died for our sins as a substitute for us. And in the New Covenant, when someone believes in Christ, when one is truly saved, the law of God is written on their hearts. Uh, so now it's alive. Now they earnestly desire to live it and obey it because they're already saved. They have the ability to do so also because Christ lives in them. So the Corinthian saints are Paul's letter of recommendation, evidenced by the change in their lives. They once walked in darkness, and now they're walking in light. They once lived against God's law, and they were under the condemnation of it, but now it's written on their hearts. Uh, and that's, that's what makes them an epistle of Christ. I want to close by leaving you with two observations. And the first one is this. A letter is written for the purpose of being read, therefore, it should be legible, right? And as I said, every believer is an epistle of Christ. Uh, and he has written it by, by saving you and indwelling you. The Spirit of God lives in you. 
and, and it is to be known and read by all men. It's his message to the world, uh, and, and, and it goes out through his people. But if you're not living close to Christ, if you're living a life of compromise where worldliness and selfishness is crowding out holiness, then you're blurring the letters. You're blurring the letters, and, and you're causing confusion as to who you really are and who really is in you. And sadly, that renders you illegible. You can't be read, and that is honest the Lord. So brothers and sisters, let us be known as Christians and read as Christians by all men. Now my second observation, very close to the first, uh, is the greatest handicap the church has today is the unsatisfactory lives of professing Christians. Right? When, we, when we, we step out into the world every day, we are open letters, we are advertisements for Christ and his church. And I'm not saying Grace Baptist Church or, or, or Woodside Community, I'm saying the church, the people of God, the bride of Christ. When we step out, we're advertising Christ and his church. Uh, and if enough of us are living lives that are contrary to Christian living, living kind of like with one foot in the world and one foot in the, in the kingdom, so to speak, well, there's nothing attractive about that. And there's nothing attractive about Christ about that. And really what we are are hypocrites. Uh, and, 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 and the reason that they won't hear or believe the gospel because they were not giving it to them. But could you imagine, could you imagine if every one of us so lived for Christ, so sold out for him, so passionate about his glory in our lives. Imagine that. Imagine if we all were starting to grow that way and there was this overwhelming desire to see God glorified, right? That what thousands around us saw each week, what they were reading from us day by day was the beautiful and glorious character of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine that? What a force for the kingdom we would be if if the, the majority of us, if all of us, would live in such a way that, that we would be so tightly united and close to him that we would just be reading Christ and his glory everywhere we went. And don't we want that? Well, who would raise a hand and say, no, don't do it. Right? We all want that. <laughs> well, let me say a word to the unsaved. If you're sitting here today and you're not a believer, you're not born again, you're not in the kingdom, what you're not is you're not an epistle of Christ. The word isn't written on your heart that way. But sadly, what is written is, is, as Paul will say in Colossians 2, that the handwriting of requirements, and that's this, is against you. You're going to have to answer for every sin you've ever committed in thought, word, and deed. In the end, you're going to stand before the judge who is Christ, and everything you ever did in this life, every sinful word, every sinful action, Every sinful thought is going to be put before you and the Lord of glory will judge you because of his word and he will, he will cast you into the lake of fire. Now that's not pretty language. But you also need to know if you're unsaved today that there's hope. And here's the hope. Run to Christ. Run to Christ. Trust in Christ. See the suffering servant on the cross and as he's on that cross, if you trust in him, turn from your sins. That means your sins were nailed up there too. And that means he's paying for them. And then Paul says that the handwriting of requirements, this, your sin that's against you, is wiped away. Anybody who comes to Christ and cries out for forgiveness and trusts in Christ and follows Christ, their sins were taken away 
and they're given eternal life. Do you believe that? I hope you do. That's the truth. Cry out. Ask for forgiveness. If you don't understand this, you've got pastors in the room, you've got seasoned Christians in this room, ask them about what it means to be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are that you are merciful. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus that would send him into this world to die for sinners, that would send him to a cross, that he would pay their eternal debt and give them a right standing before you. And Father, we pray that we would live who we are now. Yes, we're the new man, Lord. Let us live the new man in Christ. Let us live with zeal and passion and fervor and delight in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be read by all men that we're yours. Not that there's anything good in us, but there's much good and glory and greatness in the one who has saved us. So Lord, work in this place. Draw many souls in this place, Lord, to be worshipers of Christ because of the souls that sit here now. And Lord, if there is a soul among us who doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior, would you drive them to the cross? Would you show them their deep and desperate need to have their sins forgiven? And Lord, would they cry out for mercy? And indeed, you promised they would find it. And would you do all of that for the glory of your Son? In his name we pray. Amen.